Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Welcome to Wednesday night at the Church of Omaha. Thank you for making time and your schedule to be here, to be a part of what God's doing. Praise God. Also, thank you for joining us online. All of you who have tuned in. We love and appreciate you. And if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come and visit us as well. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited for all God is doing. I mean that. I, I, one day, one day after this weekend we've had, and there's at least three special testimonies of people witnessing to neighbors and people that they've met, and God's opening doors, and that's just three that I know of. I'm sure there's many more. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. Amen. And to know that it's just the beginning. Praise God. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our elements and our um, children and our students, all of our different ones that are out, of course, our nursery. Amen. And again, thank you to our staff for the great job that you do serving. I do want to make a plug. If you're interested in elements, it'll be restarting in July. Uh, again, so if you're interested in that, see Brother Donnie or Sister Kara. You can also talk to me as well, and we'll get you signed up for that. Amen. Well, this month we've been reading the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Jude. And um, tonight, as we um, come to the end of this month, I want to take us to the book of Jude and share something that the Lord, I believe, has laid on my heart from there. So I'm going to be going to the uh, Jude and I'm going to read verse 3. Amen. When you get it, say holy. Hallelujah. You got some holy people here tonight. That's awesome. Hallelujah. It's just before Revelation. You miss it if you're going too fast. <laughs> Amen. Verse 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once and many translations say for all and the original Greek supports for all which was once for all delivered unto the saints and I'm going to borrow that as my title tonight and simply preach once for all amen Lord you are the written word and the living word so now I pray that you would make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend your scriptures tonight. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. And let us be convicted and converted by the love of your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Jude writes during a time of apostasy and persecution in the church. False teachers are attacking from within. Rome and the Jews are attacking from without. And by the way, this was prophesied by both Paul and Peter. Paul in Acts chapter 20 says, Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, this is again Paul speaking, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. The wolves represent without, and the, the men that he speaks uh, perverse things are from within. And then Peter warns in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall also be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So, Jude is dealing with this attack from without Rome and the religious Jews and, and false teachers from within. And he wanted to write about the common salvation, but God had other plans, or else I should say it this way, 
He thought he was going to write one way about the common salvation, but wound up realizing God had a different idea about that common salvation. He joins countless others in the fight for truth and calling on the saints to join in that fight with him. He'll refer back to Old Testament examples and accounts of rebellion and compare them to the New Testament false teachers. He will bring out three of the most infamous apostate transgressors to have ever lived, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, showing how each of these were judged by God and how this same judgment will be on all those who join in their same wicked ways. As I mentioned about the common salvation, Jude just thinks he's not writing about it, but God brings him back around to it at the end in those final five verses, revealing to us that there's a wise and a right choice to make regarding our eternity. I want to read the same verse I read to you, verse 3, but I'm going to read it out of two other translations just to kind of help set the tone. He says in the New Living Translation, but now I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to His holy people. The Amplified Bible says, to exhort you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Let me just right out of the gate say this. The message of Jesus Christ is once for all time, and people it cannot be improved upon amen just like the book of hebrews states that the sacrifice of jesus is a once and for all sacrifice so also jude illustrates that the message and the gospel of jesus christ is once and for all you cannot change it you cannot perfect it it was perfect when it was first delivered, and it will remain perfect throughout eternity. In fact, the book of Revelation calls it the everlasting gospel. That tells me that regardless of the time, regardless of the culture, amen, it works for everyone. There is no other gospel. When, John, or excuse me, when Paul writes Galatians, he warns about those who would preach a supposed other gospel, and says, if they do, let them be accursed, even if they're an angel. And he said, even if we do that, let us be accursed. And he said it twice, emphasizing the importance of it. Amen. Because the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints has not changed and will not change. Amen. And I'll go as far as to say that if you ever hear somebody say it has changed, you need to turn that radio off, turn that TV off, turn that podcast off. Amen. If you're at the building they're in, get up and walk out. Amen. Because this gospel has not changed and will not change. Hallelujah. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Amen. Jesus is God, and He's holy, and He can't lie, and He never fails. Praise God. I don't know why anybody would want to improve upon the everlasting gospel. It was perfect the first time it happened. You see, the faith that He calls it the faith, contend for the faith. I, I, I may interject and call it the gospel, it's the same thing, but the faith, the gospel, the message that we preach, the apostles' doctrine that we hold dear, it transcends time. It works in every century and on every continent that it's preached. It transcends ethnicity. If you're in the jungles of Africa, if you're in the, the cold of Alaska, if you're in, in Asia, it doesn't matter where you are, it works every time. Hallelujah. I am thankful for certain technological advancements especially like indoor plumbing you know there's there's a few i'm thankful for i, I am you know um there, there's there's some that I'm, i wonder about though <laughs> i wonder if they're really an advancement or not 
you know. Uh, but, but here's what I do know. While I'm thankful that some things have been upgraded and, and made better, you can't upgrade or make this better. You know, when the original iPhone came out, it was, it was the craze, you know, and, and, it, and it set the stage for, for all future cell phones and smartphones and, and so on and so forth. But now, what is it, up to, to 12, iPhone 12 now or something? And, and then they do something weird where on the off years, it's like, you know, 12S, you know, so, so they, they, it's really like 24 new or 25 new models because they skipped, or they actually it might be 23, I don't know, they skipped a year and went to 10 and, and they called it X. But anyway, whatever. My point that I'm trying to make is they keep getting better. They keep figuring out ways to make it more efficient and lighter and more powerful and faster and so on and so forth. Th this was good when it was delivered. And it'll be good until Jesus comes back. <laughs> Amen. And, and here's what else is beautiful. It's good in Spanish. It's good in French. It's good in Swahili. It's good in Russian. It's good in German. Oh, hallelujah. It works. I've seen it work in our French church. I've seen it work in Spanish churches. I saw it work in Africa. I've seen it work in Israel. I've seen it work in Brazil. It works every time, everywhere, to everyone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I become concerned with people who think church growth can happen outside or without the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. I, I, I'm going to say it bold because there's people watching. If you think church growth is people sitting on your chairs or pews and, and they're not converting to the apostles' doctrine, that's not church growth. You're just swelling. It's like a river that's over flooded its banks. And when it goes back to normal banks, those, uh, uh, banks, those marshes aren't going to have any life in them. I want to be in the river of living water. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. The early church grew and multiplied, not just added, multiplied, because they stayed faithful to the preaching and teaching of the apostles' doctrine. Amen. A few years ago, there was a, uh, Brother Danny, you might remember this, the emerging, emergent church doctrine that was coming out. Brother Lucas, Pastor Lucas, you remember any of that that came out? Man, there was a craze to get rid of your pulpits and have this little, you know, not even a music stand, just set on a little bar stool like you're, you know, just having a, and they literally would say, we're not preaching, we're just having a conversation. I'm like, have a conversation, my foot. Amen. He's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Amen. He didn't say he's chosen by a conversation. Amen. You want to have a conversation, fine, let's meet at, you know, uh, uh, you know, Panera Bread, we'll have a conversation about the Bible, but when it comes to the preaching and teaching, amen, I want it to be bona fide apostolic preaching and teaching of the truth. Praise God. Praise God. And we need to earnestly contend. Jude writes to tell us, and he says, earnestly contend. This phrase that he uses comes from a, 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 a phrase that would indicate the gladiator games that were played in Rome, in which they would first swear to the Caesar, you know, we who are about to die salute you, and, and, and usually one of them would die. You know, it, it, was, it was usually a fight to the death. And that's what he's saying, if necessary, fight to your last drop of blood, fight to your last breath in your lungs for this faith it's what he's saying there it's it's giving the last full measure of devotion if that is required of you and if it's not in some kind of martyrdom persecution sense keep believing it until the day you die in other words never walk away from it I, I feel the Holy Ghost just to present something here to uh, some people today. Amen. The reason, amen, I believe God's going to bring some prodigals home is because the church hasn't changed. 
It's because the father's house is still the same father's house. If that prodigal would have went home and dad had changed the house or dad had moved to a new location, he wouldn't have found restitution. We've got to keep it the same way. So when the prodigals come back, it's still Acts 2.38. It's still John 3.5. It's still Deuteronomy 6.4. It's still 1 Corinthians 11. It's still the gospel. Hallelujah. Woo. Somebody texted me and they said, they see me because I'm right down here and the camera gets me. They said, man, we're going to get me one of them handkerchiefs. I'm like, you need to. Amen. It's my helicopter. I mean, you got your tie, Lucas. I got my handkerchief. You know, so praise God. Well, you don't have your tie tonight, but you know, sometimes on Sunday, but hallelujah. Since we are called to earnestly contend for this faith, then we should know what it is we're contending for. Right? Well, 725. I got to hurry. Lord have mercy. The word faith here means conviction of the truth, respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, and of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. In other words, let me summarize that. It's believing what Jesus himself taught in the Gospels, what he commissioned the apostles to preach, and believing and practicing that. Okay? You ever wonder why we call it the Apostles' Doctrine? It's not to elevate them. It's because Jesus in John 17, when he prayed, he said, I pray not only for these, but for all those who will believe on me through their word. He gave them apostolic authority to write what we now know as our New Testament. They were, they're what's called foundational apostles. They're still apostles today, but they're not called to write the Bible. If they think they are, they're wrong. They might write an epistle, but it's not a biblical epistle. They might want to call it an epistle. That's just a fancy word for letter. <laughs> it's a letter. It's not the Bible. It might be good. Now, I've written a few books. They're good, but they're not Bible. Okay? I was hoping for an amen there, but okay. Well, maybe not. Maybe you need to buy my books. So that's right. All right. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But my point is, that's why we call it the Apostles' Doctrine. Okay? All right. So watch this. In the Apostles' Doctrine, as they begin to preach and teach it, as it begin to be experienced, we find in the book of Acts chapter 2 where it was first poured out, the pillars of what this faith is. I don't have time to, to open up to every verse, but I'm going I'm to give them to you, and certainly you've heard them before. But the new birth is the first one, and that's verses 1 through 4 where the Holy Spirit is poured out. They speak with tongues. We see it in what Peter begins to preach, quoting Joel in 16 through 18. And we see it when he's asked what they must do to be saved. He says, repent at verse 38, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he says, this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off. So the new birth is the first pillar. Unity and love are the second pillar, seen at the first and the 47th verse. They were in one accord, and by the time it ends, they're in unity in one accord. And so, in other words, you've got the, the entire second chapter bookended by unity and love. Amen? The second coming of Christ is a part, is the third pillar of this faith. We see it in verses 19 through 20, where he begins again, quoting Joel, and tells us about the coming of the Lord giving us when the events will happen and happen matching what Jesus said in Matthew 24. The third, or excuse me, the fourth is oneness, which is the mighty God in Christ. This is at Acts 2.36 where he says, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And then we see holiness at verse 40 where with many other words he exhorted them to save themselves from this untoward generation. I don't know how many more words it was. I don't know if it was five more minutes, ten more minutes, or twenty more minutes. But whatever it was, he preached holiness for a little while and said, hey, you got to stay saved. In other words, when you are born again, it's not just to keep coming to church saying, yippee, I'm born again. It's to make a change and begin to look like your heavenly father. And to act like him. And to talk like him. and to it, Does that make sense? 
Okay, so those five pillars are seen right there in the book of Acts. That's our faith that we contend for. By the way, you cannot separate any one of those. You can't take four out of five and say, well, that's 80%. I'm doing well. 80% might get you a passing grade in school, but you got to have all of the doctrine. Have you ever noticed why it's called doctrine singular if there's five pillars to it? Well, first of all, God calls it that way. Second of all, it's because it's inseparable. If you, let me ask it this way. If I cut off one of my four fingers or my thumb, would I have a complete hand? Correct. If I take away one of those elements of that apostle's doctrine, do I have a complete doctrine? No. By the way, here's something kind of unique. Anytime and every time that the word doctrine is used in the plural doctrines, it's always negative. Catch this, watch. Matthew 15, verse 9, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Colossians 2, verse 2 also talks about the doctrines of men. 1 Timothy 4, 1 speaks of the doctrines of devils. And in Hebrews 13, 9, he says, Be not carried away about with diverse and strange doctrines. So the, the four times it's used in the New Testament, it's always negative. So we don't have doctrines that we believe. Because if you believe in the new birth, you also believe in holiness. And if you believe in holiness, you also believe in the oneness. And if you believe in the oneness, you also believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you believe all of that, you also believe in unity and love. You can't separate any of it. And that is what we are contending for. And let me just interject this. The world is looking for a true church to stand up and stand out. They're tired of political correctedness. They're tired of hearing it from their pulpits. They want to know the truth. Amen. By the way, these five pillars are seen throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Again, I don't have time to go to every verse, but uh, uh, again, all five of them are, are seen throughout and, in, and, and almost always you see other parts interlaced with that. You might not see all five in one passage, but you're going to see it two or three often. And sometimes you do see all five of those. Why is this important? Because many of the founding apostles and the first century church paid the last full measure of devotion for their faith. They did earnestly contend to the death for this faith. And like those mentioned in the hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, who were beaten and sawn asunder and so forth, so also the apostles in the first century church were, were, were persecuted and martyred by crucifixion, by stoning, by beheading, by being speared to death, filleted alive, being beat to death with axes and clubs, burned alive, boiled in oil, so on and so forth. And, and, and even still today, People are being martyred for their faith. I remember, I don't remember the country. I want to say it was um, El Salvador, but I might have that wrong. But there was a, a missionary and some, a group of young people had come in to do some sort of a missions trip thing. They were crossing the border and they were told to get out and they were told uh, to recant Christ or they would be shot. And they all said no. They were told to get on their knees and guns were cocked and recant Christ or we're going to kill you. No, we ain't going to do it. And, and after a few more minutes of realizing they would not recant, they, they let them go. And so the missionary wife actually asked one of the, the guards, said, why are you doing this? They said, because people are coming in claiming to be Christians and they're really not and they're joining the rebels against our government. He said the and he said this, he said, the true Christians are willing to die. Hmm. There you go. While their deaths were gruesome and painful, these remained faithful to the end, earnestly contending for the faith. I don't have a martyr complex. I'm, I'm not saying, oh, pick me, pick me, right? You know. But should my life be required, then this is what I hope I can say. Besides shouting, glory, as loud as I can, 
I'm going to say this. I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my Savior, Jesus Christ. From verses 4 through 11, Jude then writes about the infamous apostates, these certain men, these ungodly men who were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord, even our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, lasciviousness here means the conduct and character of one who is driven by lust, unethical and vulgar. Oftentimes when we think of the word lust, we immediately think of sexual lust. Certainly that applies. But it's any and every kind of lust. It can be lust for power, lust for money, lust for authority. It could be any type of ungodly lust. And so here, used in this context, it's not implying a sexual lust, but rather a a, a power trip kind of lust, a prideful lust that wants to change the doctrine of God and to the point of denying the Savior, Jesus Christ, that He's the Lord God. Mm. Hallelujah. Jude then begins to go on a list of using various Old Testament examples, accounts of Scripture of such lasciviousness, the unbelief of Israel in the wilderness after being delivered miraculously from Egypt. I I want you to catch what they did. Psalm 78 captures it. They've been delivered from Israel, or from Egypt, excuse me. They've literally plundered Egypt. They've been given silver, gold, rubies, diamonds. They've been given purple, silk, carts, animals. The people have literally given them everything just saying, please get out of our country. They have watched God not only decimate the Egyptian gods, but the belief in those gods. And they're leaving victoriously. And about two weeks later, can the Lord provide a table in the wilderness? Honey, if I'd have been God, I'd have been, you want to see a table? I'll show you a table. (laughs) My Lord. Good thing I ain't God, right? Well, we know God kind of got angry a couple times because Moses held him back. He said, hey, Lord, um, you're going to kill them? You might want to kill me too, you know? Well, can God furnish a table? Their unbelief. They Watch this. The Red Sea, if, if you study it uh, effectively as to where it was, and Ron Wyatt had seen it and some others had found the actual place, uh, I believe it was a Scandinavian diver, um, had found where it really is based upon the biblical account. Um, it's, it's a large body of water to have to cross, okay? Um, and, and there was somewhat of a land bridge underneath, but it still had to have a lot of wind blow the water away in order for them to walk over on dry ground, okay? And, of course, there on that, they found chariot wheels and other things that proved uh, that was the crossing. Of course, anyway, I don't want to give you all the history, but my point is it's a massive body of water that they had to cross. The Jordan River is probably from here, from me to Dana. It, I'm not kidding you. It's not very wide. And even when it overflows its banks, it's not that wide. They get to that, and they're afraid. And ten evil spies convince a whole nation to doubt God, and they march around in circles for 40 years. And so Jude references this unbelief. It's lasciviousness. It turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. He then talks about angels who sinned and are now in chains awaiting their eternal damnation. And then he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, which were utterly destroyed. There was not a trace left of any citizen of those cities. He then reverts back to present day false teachers. And he states, and I'm going to read Jude 8 from the New Living Translation. In the same way these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. I don't think it needs to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't want any part to do with any of those kind of people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And then condemning and rebuking these apostates. Let's begin to look at verse 10. But speak, these speak of, excuse me, but these 
speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Let me real quickly highlight each one of those. We know Cain, of course, the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Amen. He, he turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. He wanted to worship his own way. He wanted to bring God what he wanted. He didn't care about it. Do you know something interesting about Cain? He's one of the few people in the Old Testament that can say they talked with God. There's not a single record of Abel talking to God, but there is one of Cain. And he ignores God. I'm thinking, Cain, do you realize the opportunity you missed? You didn't get to see an angel or a theophany or a burning bush. You talked to God. And you ignored him. Wow. You realize that the first murder, the motive behind it, was being angry about worship? Isn't that sick? By the way, we should probably ban rocks or clubs because rocks and clubs probably what killed Abel, right? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Moving on. Like Balaam, he turned the grace of God into lasciviousness because he realized he couldn't prophesy falsely or negatively over Israel. And so he told them to infiltrate themselves with false doctrine and false people and commit immoral acts. And so he killed from within. And then like Korah, he turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, rebelling against God-ordained authority and spiritual leadership. Using some of the harshest terminology, Jude writes as God impresses upon him to explain what these apostates are like. Again, I'm going to use the New Living, and I want you to listen to verses 12 through 16. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people, and he said, Listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. Let me just say it. We need to do everything we can to avoid that kind of behavior or ever becoming like those false apostate teachers. We also need to avoid listening to such false apostasy. Well, it's true. I've read a lot of books in my life. There have been a lot I've also thrown away because it was filled with too much garbage. I, I've said before, well, eat the meat, throw the bone away, you know, you know, whatever. There are times where the bone affects you. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what music, what, what reading, what, what things. And I'm not talking about, you know, movies. I'm talking about even godly things, supposed godly things. Be careful what you're taking in. John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They don't listen to the voice of strangers. By the way, the Bible says this, that they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, from such turn away. That ain't my words. That's not a bylaw of the church. That's Jesus Christ's words through Paul to Timothy. So what do we have to do if, we, if we've uh, earnestly contended for this? We then also need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Amen? 
We need to turn away from those who would pervert and distort and change the truth of God into a lie, earnestly contend for the faith. But then this is how we do it. Verse 20 and 21, listen. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I believe that means to pray in the Spirit. I believe in praying in English or Spanish, if that's your language or whatever, uh, but, but pray in your, in your native tongue, but also pray in a holy tongue. Amen. Amen. Verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There'll be some that'll mock you. Some will walk after their own godly lusts. There'll be some that separate from God's truth and preach a flesh-fulfilling message. But the way to avoid being apostate, a false believer or a false teacher, is to pray in the Holy Ghost, is to get an old-fashioned altar built and have yourself a prayer meeting and get a hold of God. Amen? Somebody said the other night in one of our, in our Ironman prayer that as we begin to pray, we had a, a, a moment of spiritual warfare and he, he heard, as it were, swords uh, clashing. Amen. I believe in part that was uh, the, the, the sword of the Lord fighting, amen, for the church. Praise God. By the way, those who persevere, those who earnestly contend for the faith, they'll have compassion on others. And guess what? The Bible says they'll make a difference. That's what Jude said. They have compassion on others, making a difference. Let me tell you something. You want to make a difference in the world? Stay true to the doctrine. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Earnestly contend for the faith, and you'll make a difference. That's eternal. Hallelujah. Praise God. He goes on to say, you'll save others pulling them out of the fire. You'll hate the garment spotted by flesh, but not them, because you'll reach in for them. You know what that tells me? It goes along with what Jesus said, that I'll build my church upon this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That means I can go to the very gates of hell and push them aside and reach in, Pastor Lucas, and pull some people out and say, you don't have to go here. You don't have to die here. Come on. I wonder if there's somebody that'll stay true. To the apostles' doctrine, making a difference. Hallelujah. Those who earnestly contend for this faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, you know you have a promise of God that you'll never fall and you'll be presented blameless. You want to hear it? If you got your Bibles open, look at Jude with me. Verse 24, you ready? Now unto him, who's the him? God, Jesus, right? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody want a surefire way to know you're going to make it? Well, if you do the verses before, keeping yourselves, if you earnestly contend back in verse 3, guess what? He's able to keep you from falling. And to present you Faultless, that means blameless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. I can only imagine what that's going to be like when Jesus says, well done. I don't think it's going to be somber. I don't think it's going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. I think exceeding joy sounds to me like, hey, whoo, welcome home. You've done it. Come on in. That sounds more like what it's going to be like. Amen. He's able to keep you from falling. He's, he's able to present you faultless. Amen. And I love how 25 just, just puts the, the seal on it to the only wise God, our Savior. You know what's interesting about this? Jude is calling Jesus the Savior, the only wise God. <laughs> Imagine that. Right? The only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And when you get done with all the forevers, amen. I love God. I love His Word. I love you, His church. And I love all of that too much to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. I love God. 
I love his word, and I love you too much to preach or teach an apostate false message that appeals to our flesh but denies the spirit. And if that costs me some people leaving because I won't compromise, I won't compromise. I don't mean to sound arrogant with what I'm about to say, but if it's me and my wife, I'll preach to her in 199 empty chairs. And if she forsakes me, I'll preach to 200 empty chairs and believe God will fill them. Because I'm just crazy enough to believe there's people looking to hear the gospel. And they want a gospel that doesn't change. And they want a gospel that'll change them. And they want a gospel that'll make them blameless and be presented before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Therefore, I love God and His Word and His church too much to sell out for the cheap and temporal pleasures of sin for a season. Now, again, I don't have a martyr complex. I don't wish to die. I don't wish any one of you to. But if that is our destiny, I pray then that I can have the stamina and courage of Naboth to look at the Ahab of my generation and say, I'm not for sale. 1 Kings 21 records this account, what I just referenced, Naboth and Ahab. Naboth had a vineyard that was close or hard by, the King James says, the palace of Ahab, or, um, Ahab yes. Ahab was a wicked king, much like those apostates that Jude writes about. He wants Naboth's vineyard, but Naboth refuses to sell it. He says, no, this is the inheritance of my father's. God forbid me that I sell it to you. Ahab, the whiny little abdicating apostate he is, goes home and cries to his wife. She's the one that really wore the pants in the family. His wife was Jezebel, by the way. Oh, honey, they won't let me have this. She's like, oh, you wine bag. I'll handle it for you. By the way, this is the MTP commentary. Just, I'm just so you know that. The Bible doesn't call him a wine bag. That's, that's what, you know, my scholarly clues have given me. He was. He was a whiny. Jezebel, oh, I'll take care of it, honey. You know, I'll get you your vineyard. Has a couple false witnesses lie about Naboth. Has him killed and gives it to him. But there's something in the account that you'll miss if you just kind of read through it and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's too bad. Sorry he died. I know, you know, maybe he's one of those Old Testament saints. We'll see him in heaven. Praise God. Well, let's back up and slow down a little bit. Can we just downshift a little bit, put the Jake brake on and, and catch something here? You ready? 1 Kings 21, verse 2. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, give me your vineyard. Let me pause right here. What's a vineyard produce? Well, grapes, right? Wine. Um, Okay, watch. Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a, hmm, garden of herbs. The reason Ahab wanted the vineyard wasn't to keep producing grapes, but to change its function. The reason the apostate spirit is still present in the world today is it wants to change the function of the church. Oh, you can still call it church, just don't preach this. We don't want a vineyard, we want some garden of herbs. I'm not for sale. Not for sale. The enemy doesn't mind if you plant things in your life just so long as it isn't the seed of God's word. You can plant seeds of lust and pride. You can plant those things that appeals to your flesh. That's okay. He'll even let you still come to church and feel goosebumps as long as you're planting a garden of herbs I'll never forget the old-time preacher. It was a camp meeting. I believe it was in Oklahoma, but he got up, and he held a, a child, and he rocked that child kind of like Joseph's done with his baby tonight. 
and he rocked that child to sleep, and he, he preached a message called Rock Abide to Hell. The devil don't care. Can I tell you what the devil is afraid of? Action. I emphasize acts there. The acts of the, it wasn't the good intentions. Of the, he's afraid of action. He don't care if you talk about praying. But when you start to say, Our Father which art in heaven, he's like, uh-oh, red alert, red alert. He's praying. She's calling on Jesus. He don't care if you talk about witnessing. But when you talk to that coworker, neighbor, or friend, all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, uh, we got to send a demon her way. we got to stop this. He don't care if you go to church. Just don't become the church. Plant a garden of herbs, that's okay, but not a vineyard. But I'm not for sale. I've received with meekness this engrafted word into my hearts. That's what I've received, and I want it to produce the fruit that he is pleased with. I wonder tonight, as we close, is there anybody here that will stand with me? If you have your Bible, grab it. If you don't, well, grab something, you know, that might resemble your Bible. And if that's on your phone, I suppose it's okay. But if you've got your Bible, would you stand and come down to this front with me? And would you declare with me, like Naboth, I'm not for sale. Pastor Lucas, I'm not selling out. Amen. I love you. You're the co-pastor of this church. But if you ever stop preaching truth, I'm still going to preach it. And if I ever stop preaching, I hope you keep preaching it. Amen. Pastor Danny, we're starting a church in Norfolk. Refuge Ministries, Refuge Church has got to preach this all the time, every time, amen, to everybody, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're alcoholics, drug addicts, or prostitutes, it'll work for everybody, amen? amen. We've got to hold fast to this doctrine. It's the only way. I wonder if you could just begin to pray and say, God, I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale in my home. I'm not for sale in my family. I'm not for sale in my life. I'm not for sale. I'm not giving up. Amen. You may not be a preacher, but if you're a man or a woman of God, whether or not you've got a family, or whether or not you've got children, come on, you can declare for your life right now, I'm holding fast to this. I'm going to live it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to bring others to it. Amen. Because I am not for sale. It was once and for all delivered to the saints, and I will once and for all contend for it earnestly. Jesus, we stand here tonight, and hopefully those online are joining us in a way to say we stand firm upon your word. We stand true in your word. We will not compromise. We will not be for sale. We will not give up. We will not turn back. We will stay true and faithfully endure to the end. Hallelujah. A few months ago, Brother Keith and I were enjoying a, a good steak meal. I believe it was at Longhorns, Brother Keith. And the, the coaster picked it up to slide when the lady brought our drinks. I flipped it over and it said, start strong. We've been talking about living for God. And, and he just, I believe it was in, inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, and finish faithful. Amen. Whether you started strong in your adult years or as a child, whether you backslid and came back, if you're in the church right now, I'm going to ask you, would you finish faithful with me? Would you hold fast to this with me? Amen. Through whatever storms may come spiritually, politically, or otherwise, would you hold on to this with me together? Amen. And as we tell others, would you believe with me that there's going to be more people joining us, that there's going to be empty blue chairs filled, that there's going to be your friends and your workers and your neighbors and your loved ones here believing this same gospel. I know this, when they come, we're going to baptize them in the same name, Jesus Christ, that you were baptized in. Amen. When they come, we're going to pray for them to speak in tongues just like you did. Amen. We're going to teach them to love this just like you do. Once and for all. Oh, I might buy a new Bible every once in a while. I got, I think, 27 in my study right now. That's, that's not including all the ones I have online. You know, I like holding them. I like studying them. 
Brother Chris, when I heard your testimony, my heart, my heart broke because, oh, how many times have I read this? How many times have I devoured it? Amen. I'm going to love this. One more quick thing I want to tell you. Some of you were here a few years ago when we had the missionary from Uganda come. I don't remember his name. I wish I did. But while he was preaching, he talked about how that the Ugandan people can't afford to buy a Bible. So what they'll do is they'll go to a conference and they'll put up as many verses as they can on a screen for like eight hours. And they'll put it up and everybody will have a notebook and they're writing it down. And that becomes their Bible until they can raise enough money or earn enough money or get enough money to buy a Bible. So I'm thinking, man, these things must cost $15,000 or something. And, and as if he kind of read my mind, he said, and they only cost $15 U.S. I'm like, huh? I literally got up, walked out of the church, walked back to my study. It was where my, my wife's office is now. And I walked in and I, and I counted on my shelf and I don't know how many I had at that time, but it was over 20 different Bibles. I'm like, my God, these men and women can't buy one? We raised an offering that night. We've raised an offering since and helped people buy Bibles. But they love it so much that they'll walk for miles to go to a conference and for eight hours will sit there and look at a screen and write down as many verses as they can and treasure that. Wow, I want that kind of a passion for this. That come what may, I'm not for sale. One more time, would you lift your voices together? Jesus, we're not for sale. We're holding fast to your truth and your word. We're going to live for you all the days of our life. We're not giving up. We're not giving in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you enough to preach this truth. Amen.